that we're going to pick up. Can I get a witness is the name, is the title. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? I don't know if you've been in churches like that, but like they're serious. Can I get a witness? You know, and I remember uh, growing up in a church like that, and that's where I actually, uh, you know, gave my life to the Lord. And um, Brother Rucker was the pastor, so uh, this, big, uh, this big black guy, and he'd be up here, and he'd have the towel draped right here, and a uh, shaved head, and he would just be sweating, you know, and he's just, <sighs> you know, just coming with it. And then, I, I, was, I was young, so um, around that age, I don't know, that was from ages from like 7 to 9 to 10, something like that. And so... Um, He'd be going through his whole thing, and can I get a witness, you know, hallelujah, and the tambourines are going, and hallelujah, now, and it's going, and, um, and uh, I remember falling asleep on the pews, actually, because it'd go so long, and then you'd have to come back around two or three for another, like, two or three hours, and I was like, oh my gosh, it was a long service, it was long, so can I get a witness, can I get a witness, so we're not quite going that direction, but. Well, I don't know. I guess we could go that way. All right. Um, John chapter 8, verse 12 is where we're going to pick up. Let's open up in prayer. All right. So, Father, um, we give this time over to you, Lord. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you speak to our hearts. That you'd have uh, your way during our time together. That we'd be encouraged uh, by the light of this world. And that we'd better understand what John was intending to write through the direction and inspiring of you, Holy Spirit. We want to pick that up. We want to know that. We don't want to just create some kind of meaning. We want to know what was actually going through his heart and mind when he wrote it. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd enlighten us and open up our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so, hopefully the past couple of weeks have been helpful uh, with the same-sex stuff and talking about, uh, you know, marriage um, and uh, just, you know, sin and whole. Hopefully it, it was helpful. And if things continue to stir and you got more questions, you want to talk about more stuff, you know, feel free. I'm definitely available for that. So, this morning we pick back up in John, all right? And this is a pretty interesting passage um, because in this passage... Uh, Jesus having a long narrative with uh, the Pharisees that are there. They're, they're kind of into this discourse. And Jesus just covers like the whole gamut of stuff. And throughout the entire Bible, this is uh, a passage where he, he most adamantly states that he is the Son of God. And they go like back and forth. And, and they're talking about um, all kinds of stuff. Ranging from who he is, who his dad is. He's like a half-breed. Um, they talk about death. I mean, they talk about all kinds of stuff. And intentionally, they're trying to rattle Jesus and bring him down a particular direction. And it's like Jesus uses their intentional detours to get back to where he wanted to go anyways. Uh, he's really good at that. Really good at that. And praise God for that. Because he also does that with our lives. Where we're willing, like, you know what? I'm going this way. You know, and we head down that way. He's like, man, I will take that. I'm going to pursue after you. And I'm going to come get you. I'm going to come find you. And I'm going to change you right back to where I wanted you to be in the first place. It's awesome. It's really scary when we talked about last week when he actually gives us over to the depraved mind. He says, you know what? 
You don't want any peace in me. You never have. I continue to pursue after you. I just let you go your own way. That's a scary day. And God does that. We talked about some of that last week. Um, so can I get a witness? Let's look at the next slide. On the next slide, um, this is a picture you can't see really well. But um, this is a, you know, you know what those are called there? Yeah, stalagmites in a stalactite cave. And this is actually, Julie and I had a chance to go to Bermuda. Um, oh, that seems like forever ago. I don't even know when it was, but it, it was an awesome trip. And I'll definitely go again as one of those, like, uh, cruises. And it was, like, all-inclusive. And it wasn't real expensive. It was awesome. And, and part of what we did is we went out on the island. And we went into one of these stalactite caves. And they have just all these, like, uh, mineral things, you know, hanging down. And there's like a walkway there you can walk through and you can see there's water on either side. And the way you get in there is like a cave in this rock and you kind of walk down and, and this is what you see. And actually, um, a kid found this. I forget when they said early 1900s. He was like playing ball with his friends and a ball rolled and I went into these caves. And sure enough, um, this kid ended up finding this. So like what a find after playing some ball. And uh, I remember being in there with Julie and we're part of a little tour group. And the guy's telling us about, you know, how it was found and how these things are created and all this stuff. And it was pretty interesting. And uh, one of the, the things that he did while we were down there is uh, he sh- cut the lights off. So he shut the lights. And I've never been, maybe you've been in one of these before, but I've never been in a place that was so dark. Never. I mean, pitch black. Pitch black. So, like, you could even, the light was off and... He purposely kept it off for a little while. So he's like, okay, you know, put your hand um, in front of your face. And so I remember picking up my hand, and I know I did it. I, I, you know, I told my hand, hand go in front of my face, you know, and I picked it up, and I put it up there, but I couldn't see it. And I know it was there. I told it to go there, right? And I tried the other one, you know, and I'm putting my hand, and you literally cannot see. You can't see anything. I mean, pitch, total darkness. Um, and I remember when they first went on, it was like, it's weird because you're, you're never in a place where it's ever totally dark. I mean, just completely. Lights out. No stars, you know, no moon, no traffic lights, you know, no cell phone lights. I mean, nothing. No lights at all. Uh, and so it was, it was unsettling at first. It's like, so as soon as they went off and it's that dark, you're like, oh, this is different. You know, you can feel like, you know, the synapses in your brain going off. You're like, wait, I've never seen this before. Like, this is different. How do we... You know, what's going on here? Um, and then it's also kind of intimidating because it's something you've never seen before. Um, it, it intimidates you a little bit. That darkness just intimidates you because you're not quite sure how to handle it. Do I take a step? You know, do I not take a step? So it's also like paralyzing because you don't even, because I remember not moving. So when you see the lights off, like all I did was the hand thing in front of the face. It wasn't like I, bless you, I tried to like walk, you know, over here or anything. The water's right there, so you don't want to fall in there. Um, so when the lights go off, it, the darkness had all of this power with it. Um, it does bring intimidation. It does bring this paralyzation. It, it brings unsettling. You're anxious kind of about it. Um, and that's what just that little, just brief instance, maybe 30 seconds, maybe at the most, but it's, it felt like a long time, of darkness that it brought. Um, and um, I think that most of us also can also attest to darkness like that in the spiritual realm for sure. 
It has the same effects. Darkness in the spiritual realm is unsettling, it is intimidating, and it does paralyze us. It definitely has that effect on us um, when we're in just a lack of light and just, just dark. Things are just dark. They seem bleak. They seem like there's no hope. It's, you can't see anything clearly. It's just foggy. And so what you're, a lot of times what we're left to is our best devices of trying to figure it out. So we're just trying to figure things out the best that we can. And usually we'll just use like our past experiences. We'll use maybe the internet. Um, we'll use maybe friends. And we'll research and talk a lot and just try and figure things out on our own. And it actually leads to a lot of darkness. And Jesus was like, man, that is not, that's not where the light of the world is. That's not the light of this life. And so um, the conversation that we're going to look at starts off with this issue of light and darkness. And if you remember anything from the book of John has been going through, John has always been using light and dark to contrast Jesus and what He's about and what God is about and what the world is about. Jesus and God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, is all about light. And ourselves and our sinful nature and the enemy is always about dark and never letting us see the light, never even trying to let it creep in. The light can be intimidating. It can shine a lot of stuff on there. I've been in some houses where it's just dark in their houses all of the time. I'm like, why is it dark in here? And talk to some people, why is it so dark in here? And everything's just a mess. I don't even want to look at it. You know, and it's like easy to do that. It's easy to do that, to keep that darkness there because we don't actually be confronted with the light and what it might show and what it might expose. So, Let's take a look at what happens here with these guys. And Jesus starts off with an amazing kind of thing here. Let's take a look. Verse 12. And let me also just say real quick, before we take a look at this, this was right after Jesus let that woman go who was supposedly caught in adultery. Remember, he let her go. He said, hey, whoever has uh, not sinned, you throw the first stone. And um, Jesus at that instance was letting her off the hook but there was really a barb attached to it. There was a barb on the hook. The barb was right at the very end. He said, man, just go leave that life of sin. Like, just stop doing that. I mean, Jesus knew that it was a bogus trial. Jesus knew that it was a bogus charge. And they were just doing it just to intentionally trap him. And it's actually kind of scary if you were to be like, yeah, you know, we should kill her. If the Pharisees agreed with it, they would have, like, agreed to kill a woman just to try and make a point. Regardless of if justice was even upheld. That's pretty scary. So anyways, he sees that this thing is just completely bogus. There's no legitimacy to it. And he says, you know what, whatever. Whoever has a sin, you cast the first stone. And then she goes. Everybody goes away. And he tells her, he's like, you know, is anybody here to condemn you? And no, nobody's here. And he's like, okay, you can go. But leave your life of sin, right? And then right after that, we pick up in verse 12. So it says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Says the Pharisees then challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. So let's just pause there for a minute. I just, this made me, to be honest with you, it just kind of made me laugh. It made me laugh in verse 12. Here's why. This is just like, this just seems like a random, obscure, just sort of ambiguous Strange thing to say. 
If you just come across somebody, and uh, Jesus, it seems like he just shows up, and he just like, kind of yells out, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Like, there's nothing attached to what he's saying. Like, there wasn't some previous story, some other thing that they were talking about. He just sort of shows up and says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. They'll have the light of life. It's just like so random. It's so random. Like, where's it even coming from? It just comes out. Just, can you imagine somebody just showed up to church? And they just, that was, they just showed up saying that. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me. Like, that's like weird to just proclaim that, you know, just sort of out there. Um, like to know like what the deal was. Like what was going on? What were they talking about? Um, what is this? light of the world and this darkness and what are we talking what is he even saying like what what is he even saying right there i am the light of the world whoever follows me they will always be in light and they'll never be in darkness they'll have the light of life well that sounds really religious and great but what are you even saying right now what does that even mean and I could absolutely see, I have coworkers that kind of text me and ask me stuff all the time about the Bible and what it means, and they send me all these crazy passages, which is good. Um, and uh, this is like one of those. I'll get one of those. I haven't gotten this one yet, but I'm sure I'll get something like it at some point. But what does this mean? You, know, you could just be reading that. Like, yeah, you know, what is the deal with that? So let's take a look at this real quick, because this kind of sets the stage for everything else. Because Jesus had an intention of talking about this, and then take it in some other direction. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. So he is the light of the world. I guess that means that this world would be dark. Right? It's just the only way you can take that. There's got to be darkness in this world. And so I looked up, uh, you know, the Greek here, as far as you look at the Greek, the Greek word is phos. Everybody say phos. P-H-O-S, phos. So it means light, it means bonfire, it means torch, it means light giver, a luminary. So that's what he's saying about himself right here. I am the light, I am the bonfire, I am the torch, I am the light starts here. Light has never happened until I stepped on the scene. It all starts here with me. I am like the sun, S-O-N-S-U-N. It all starts here. It's pretty amazing stuff. This is pretty heavy duty. It says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So whoever follows me, what are we even saying follows? So let's take a look what follows means. Follows, it's a longer Greek word. You don't want to say that one. But follows means to come behind. To go after, to obey, to cling to. I think of Judson, like he's just in this stage right now where he's just, he does follow, he does walk behind, but he's now he's got this pant cling thing like all the time. You know, so I, one, I better make sure my shorts are tight, tight because that gets weird. But he does like this cling thing right now. He's just constantly, da, 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 you know, he's just, all, but he's, he's legit following me everywhere. So what he's doing, and it's a good picture of what Jesus is saying when he's talking about following him. It's a lot different than even just singing to him. 
on a Sunday morning, or even just acknowledging that he's there, or even just acknowledging that there was this person, Jesus. He's saying, man, follow me. If you're my disciple, you will follow me. You will go the places that I go. You will want to pursue after the things that I taught. You're going to want to go do the things that I did. Follow me. Come follow me. Cling to me. Be with me. Follow me. That's the key. That's how we know we're disciples, if we're following, not if we're singing to him. Because everybody knows we could just sing whatever and not be following. So we're called to follow. So if somebody's following me, they're clinging to me, they want to stay with me, they will never walk in darkness, but will have the light. What kind of light? The light of life. They will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's a huge statement. They will never walk in darkness, but they'll have the light of life. So Jesus is saying, in essence, if somebody's following him, and a disciple, and a Christian of him, they will never again have to walk in darkness. They will never again have to go and be in and live in a place of bad habits, of regrets, of sin, of self-centeredness, of a life that is covered with unsettling, anxious, intimidation, paralyzing fear. Doesn't have to be a part. In fact, God went so far to say in His Word that you are already, a Christian is already, we are already more than conquerors for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, He's saying, hey listen, I've already made the way. Everything you need to live a life in the light and be free is already done. What you have to do is actually claim that in faith and walk in it. That's what our role is called to be. We're called to actually walk in it by faith. Oh, but I'm so anxious and I'm feeling so much fear about this and it's consuming me and I don't want to talk to so-and-so and I don't want to confront such-and-such. And God is saying, well, maybe that's the way you did it before. But listen, take a step of faith, go out and do it, and trust me with the results. Yeah, but if I go out and do it, they're going to respond this way, and they might say this thing, and this might happen. He's saying, hey, this is, this is now the opportunity. This is the cliff. This is the crossroads. This is where you get the chance to trust me now and claim it in faith to see that things are forever going to be different. Because as long as we always live and hedge our bets with what might happen over there, we're not really living in the light of faith. Because He offers a light of life. A light that where He wants to shine on everything and everywhere. We're holding nothing to ourselves. And many of us, I put these jars up here, many of us know something about the darkness that is attached with fear. That's a huge one. Just being afraid. Just being afraid. Some people just wake up and they're just afraid. What is somebody going to say? How are they going to react? I don't know if I can do this or say that or go here. Christians, I don't even know if I can pray out loud. I don't even know if I can sing out loud. I don't. What are we doing? The light of life is supposed to, the hope of the world lives inside of the Christian. I don't know 
how many Christians actually believe that's actually the case. Probably because they've never let the light of the world really shine. We've done that example up here before, that honestly, the light issue and darkness issue, it's not even an issue. Light always wins. Actually, the way you define darkness, if you look it up, go on Webster, go on Dictionary, go online, it says the absence of light. That's how darkness is defined. So the light always wins. So if I put like a candle up here like we did before, and I covered the top of it, that's the issue. The issue is how can the enemy take a candle, if it was lit, take a candle and cover that thing? How can he do that? Because the light's already winning. The light of the world is already here. And it's already inside of the Christian. So the enemy's strategy is, okay, how can I dampen that? How can I make it shine not so bright? How can I make it not be seen? That's what he's doing. So some of us know a lot, all of us know something about the darkness of fear, the darkness of being angry, just having that be a first response, especially guys. Five guys fall into this pretty good. Just not that women don't, but um, guys tend to you know, fall into that one pretty well, just being angry. Easily just going right to anger, whatever it is. Um, lacking the ability of what maybe has happened and maybe to articulate that, just going right to, to anger. Because that's just, you know, sometimes where guys go. I'm, I know I'm angry, or I know I'm happy, or I know I'm hungry. You know what I'm saying? But we got to get better at that stuff. We're called to do better at that. Um, God has called us to anger, anger in the correct way. Because Jesus got angry, but he said he didn't sin in doing it. So it is possible to get angry in the, angry in the right way without sinning. Um, how about salvation? The darkness of salvation. The awesome thing is that when we become Christians, that darkness on sin that had a reign over our life is done. Paid for, done. But now what we get to do as Christians, we have to live out our life of the manifestation of that surrender that we did, that we committed to. Anxiety, another big one. Just a dark, that could just be a dark place of being anxious all the time about what might happen. That is a prison. That's a prison. And anybody who's had some experience with that can tell you about it. Usually you don't have to look very far. Anxiety can be a prison. We're called to be set free from that thing. And God is saying, I've already set you free. Time to get radical and risky and step out. Do everything you've always not done in regard to that and trust me. See, he set us free. He's made the way, but it's also true. We're called to play a part and willingly just pick up our leg and foot and go. We're called to at least just do this much, and then he just lays the road down. Like that scene in Indiana Jones, you know what I mean, where it's like blank and he's going across. I don't remember which one that was. Somebody yell it out. Do you remember? Indiana Jones. Crusade? Last Crusade. crusade. Right? He's got that huge, like, uh, chasm, I guess, in between there. There's nothing there, and he's got to take that step. And he just, and there's nothing there. And he's like, you've got to take that step. And he takes it. And then all of a sudden, it just shows up, you know? Like, that's similar. That has its flaws, that analogy. But it's similar. It's similar to what we're called to do. Yes, we could give every reason in the world why we should be anxious again this time and why we have been every time. Absolutely. But maybe God is calling us to do something different this time around. 
question is, you know, will we? Um, forgiveness. Some people just live in a dark world of just unforgiveness. Just don't forgive anybody. Well, maybe I'll think about it if they ask for it. If they recognize what they did wrong, oh, that's horrible. We're going to get trapped. So we're only going to love people the way Jesus did if they put themselves in a position to receive it? Not good. It's not what we're called to. We're called to not need people that way. We're called to just love. Like, we're called to, you can tell when things start to change in the mind and the heart of a Christian, is when we actually get to love other people. Where we get to love them. Man, I'm so glad I got a chance just to love them and be in their life and show God's love to them. Where everybody else could, could maybe find a fault where, well, they, you know, they don't call you back or, or you know, they, 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 they don't hang out with you or, you know, they're not putting in as much as you are. If we start judging relationships like that, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. We're not called to judge relationships like that. There's definitely some friendships and relationships, you know, that we can unveil more and be more vulnerable to. But for the most part, God has placed us here, man, to show love to people and overwhelm them with the love that has overwhelmed us. And then, of course, the darkness of just no love. That's just a sad place to be. But there's just no love. And you just tolerate people. I'll deal with them. I'll deal with them. And the love that we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 that God is talking about. It's patient. It's kind. It's not self-centered. It doesn't easily get angry. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It's always patient. It's always kind. It always perseveres. That's the love that we're talking about. To live in any other kind of form of love is, is a darkness. Is the enemy being successful in trying to snuff that thing out. So the reason why I bring these up here is that inside of these, um, there's little um, popsicle sticks in here, tongue depressors. Right, and on here, it's got a verse, and it's got like, um, whatever it was, this one's anger. It's got anger on the front, and it's got a verse on the back. So if people struggle with the temptation of the enemy wanting to bring us back to places in our life where we struggle with these, there's verses on there that could be helpful. So feel free to like, you know, take some later and take a look because what we're called to do is we're called to um, live a life that's based in faith and on His promises first and then our feelings and what's going on inside of us second. They're called to submit to that. That's a really difficult thing sometimes. Especially if we're really a strong feeling type of person. And it doesn't mean that the feelings don't count and that they shouldn't be there because God created us with them. But it does mean that they're indicators that may have to submit to God's truth. Hopefully they just don't dictate everything that we do all the time. Okay, I spent longer on that than planned, but but this is a pretty radical statement. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I hope that and I pray that. As we grow as Christians, we have stories for days about how the light of life has come into our lives. We can get into baiting, you know, original language, doctrines from different denominations, um, Hebrew, Greek, whatever. I hope and I pray that we can also talk about, let me tell you about what the light of life has done in my life. 
He's just shined stuff in areas I've never even seen before. Stuff I didn't even notice about. And he's just been bringing change. It's unbelievable. Let me tell you about. Let me show you. Or remember when. Right? Hopefully we're filled with that. And then the way we get filled with that is by being in communion and connection with Him and following after Him. Because as we follow along the way, we see the light of life truly take over. Because, believe it or not, there also is a light of darkness. There's a light of... That, that, that doesn't make sense, right? There's a light of life, like Jesus said. There's also a light of darkness. 1 Corinthians 11. And 1 Corinthians 11, I think it's 14, says that Satan himself masquerades. He puts a little outfit on and he masquerades as an angel of light. That's what he does. He actually makes himself appear to be the light, appear to be really good, but within that he's able to successfully like leave sin out of the equation leave Jesus out of the equation, but still look good. He's super highly skilled at that. And that's constantly attacking us and being fed to us, around us. Because I think everybody knows that the world like, does not appreciate sin or maybe even believe in sin. So there's a light of life, but there's a light of darkness. So we've got to have wisdom to discern between the two. And that light of darkness not only sometimes chooses to leave sin out, leave Jesus out, it can also imitate some things that God has um, made for the church and for Christians. So the light of darkness, it can imitate healings. It could imitate tongues. It could imitate a Christian life if many just looked at it at surface level. It could imitate all that stuff. So now it's like people are looking to themselves, you know, next to each other in a pew, you know. What's your deal? Hopefully we're not doing that. But the idea, I hope, is to be sobering to us and be like, whew, okay. I got to know, like, which one is the light of the life? Which one is truly from the Lord and which one is from the enemy? Because he wouldn't be successful in deceiving people if it wasn't like a true deceit. It wouldn't work. If you could see it coming, it doesn't work. But that's the great thing about being with the light of life. He gives us the ability of seeing false, untrue things come our way. He gives us that ability. Oh, no, no. I see where that thought process is going. That's going to make me anxious. That's going to put me in a turmoil and a wreck later. I don't want to go after that. I see that. Or I see so-and-so. Every time I hear that song or this thing comes on, it's, it brings us back to places and brings us to things. And when the Spirit then starts to show us and be like, yep, that's going to head you down that road. I'm letting you know now. Let's get together now. I want to speak and work through you now. So He shines light on the false. So we know it's not a huge guessing game when we're actually following with Him. Okay. So let's, let's go further here. It says, the Pharisees challenged him. And, and I'll go quicker here through the rest. The, Phar- the Pharisees challenged him. 
Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is invalid. So they're like, really? You're the light of the world. You, you, you ne- uh, whoever follows you doesn't walk in darkness. They're like, you're just saying this about yourself. Can you get anybody else to confirm this? So Jesus says, even if I testi- testify on my own behalf, my testimony is invalid. For I know where I came from and why I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. It's a sad thing that the religious leaders have no idea who he is or where he's going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Man, some people just come on out and be like, he is so arrogant. Who does he think he is? Man, when you know who you are, it does sound arrogant to people. There's just really no way around that. When you know who you are, it does sound conceited. It does sound arrogant. Even Paul even says, man, I boast. I boast in the Lord. Who he is and what he says about me, that I know him. That's what I boast in. So it's not like a, a, a holy thing that sort of, well, you know, I don't know. No, man. We should know. I know who God is. Look what he's doing in my life. Are you judging me? No, I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you I know who God is and I know what he's doing in my life. Here's how. Here's why. Verse 17. In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two men is valid. So Jesus is like, you know what? I am valid. Um, you have no idea who I am, where I came from, who my father is. And he says, you know what? Even your own law, it says you've got to have at least two people that have a valid testimony. So he says, okay, i give you two people. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness, trump card, is the Father who sent me. So he's like, fine, if you want to go down that route with the witnesses, listen, I'm, I'm Jesus, you have no idea where I came from. My other witness is God himself. So as you can imagine, they probably received this really well. Verse 19, then they asked him, where is your Father? See, this is a total detour. He says, you do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place. Where yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. So once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. See, it's a central issue with Jesus, right? S-I-N. Sin is a central issue. It's an important thing. And we're dealing with it and battling with it all the time. And the Christian is called to acknowledging that sin. And when God makes it real in front of us, it's being repentful and saying, Lord, I, I'm sorry. I didn't know. Or when we did know in the fighting, Lord, I'm, I, I've just been being stubborn. I don't want to be stubborn anymore. I repent. It says, where I go, you cannot come. It says, this made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one who I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. You think he's trying to get this sin issue across? It's a pretty important thing, right? It's got to be dealt with. It's got to be dealt with. And what he said, if you do not believe, I'm the one who I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. I mean, we've got to believe. 
follow him. Verse 25, who are you, they asked. (laughs) So it's like, you can't say this. Who's your dad? Okay, who are you? And this isn't like their first conversation. It's just, it's a crazy discourse. So verse 25, Jesus is like, okay, just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus said. I have much to say in judgment of you. Because, man, you guys aren't hearing it. It's because you don't want to hear it. There's a difference between not hearing and then not wanting to hear. Purposely just not listening. But he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, when I'm on the cross, when you lift me up, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. This is incredible. All he's doing right now is saying who he is, where he's from, who his father is. He hasn't done one miracle. He hasn't done one supernatural thing. And it says right there, verse 30, even as he spoke, people were receiving eternal life. They're putting their faith in him. That's a powerful thing. I'm praying that happens every Sunday morning. That as we're talking about stuff, people are like, I believe, I believe. And then their life, hopefully, starts to show that. It's a powerful thing. It says, verse 31, To the Jews who had believed him, so there were some, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So how can somebody really know if they're a disciple? And people ask that question a lot. How can I know, you know, if I'm really a Christian? It says, you will hold to my teaching. That's how you know. You'll hold to it. In other versions, it's better. It's more accurate. It says, you will abide to my teaching. You will abide in me. Meaning, you're going to stay with me. It's going to be within you. You're not going to want to leave it. That's how you can tell if somebody's a true disciple, man. If they are just aggressive about getting in the Word, knowing that, the Word is critical in their life. Knowing that if they were to wake up, have their feet hit the floor for that day, and they didn't approach God's Word and be in contact with Him, they know they're bringing a knife to a gunfight. These are what disciples do. This is what Christians do. I think it's kind of scary if somebody could like call themselves a Christian and never spend six months in their Bible. It really has got to make you wonder. But there's not like Christian and non-Christian police going around, you know. But we've got to have an understanding with that stuff. It's really important. Who is a disciple? It's one that stays within my word and follows after me. It says, then you will know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. Because as we stay in the word, we can recognize the truth from a lie. Should I just be responding, um, you know, to somebody... Out of retaliation. You know, am I really loving somebody right now or am I just, um, you know, enabling them to stay the same? You need wisdom to answer that question. You need truth to answer that question. Hope we're in our words and we have something to bring to the table. And if we're not, I hope we're surrounding ourselves with people that are in the word that can help bring something to that question. It's a big deal. 
It says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that is a powerful, powerful verse. And I can tell you, man, just from being a Christian, just even the past five years alone, um, in my Christian walk with the Lord, just this church plant, there's more freedom accumulated each and every year. It's unbelievable. It's literally unbelievable. We could talk about that just for three months, and I'm not even kidding. It is so freeing, it's ridiculous. And you want to know what a really big part of it is? I always kind of got the sin part. Okay, I'm set for my sins. Yay, Jesus, you did it. Awesome. You know, I get some of that. A really big deal is me being free from you. Not necessarily you as a church, but people as a whole. There's nothing you could do to me that's going to ruin my day and make things absolutely horrible. Some people are like, really? Let me in there. You know. Bring it. Bring it. And that's not a challenge. That's just reality. To be free. To just, in a way, to now I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord, I finally am seeing clearly now. Man, I am put here just to embody your truth and your love. That's it. And within that is found amazing peace and amazing freedom. And things aren't heavy. I'm not depressed moping around until I get a break. I just feel good. And I tell, talk with Julie all the time, you know. I say, oh, babe, I could be dead on the way home, you know. Don't say that, you know. And it's kind of it is due to I'm pushing her buttons. Yes, I do do that. Um, but part of it is also because, honestly, that's just that's what's going on. That's the where I'm at. That's the reality. Could be dead. That's, that's, that's our deal. That is our deal. We are here because we're going to die. And, and to be honest with you, we're going to keep reading in a minute. We don't die. We just move on. We just leave this. We stay alive. He's the light of life. So we're not dying. We just move. I don't want the open casket thing, but if there was an open casket thing, you would just see just see my fleshly body up there. I moved on. I'm in a different area code, different zip code. I am good. Don't feel bad. Yeah. Don't feel bad about that. And why would I live my life in such a way to like everything's personal? And it, it, I was put here because, number one, I'm loved by God. He allowed me by His grace to be here. And I'm put here to embody His love and His truth. So now when people don't know this word, hopefully they can see it through my life. Done deal. That's it. Within that, you know, I'll have jobs and I'll have a family and you know, I'll have my kids and grandkids. And, you know, we'll be in church and we'll do all of this stuff. But top priority is I'm here to embody truth and I'm here to embody love. That doesn't give me a lot of room to not do things because I don't feel comfortable. That doesn't give me a lot of room to sort of just do whatever I want whenever I feel like it. It doesn't leave me a lot of room to not take risks of faith. I don't see that there. If God makes something clear and He says, hey, go here, go do this, done deal. Julie's learning that the more we get married, she's like, oh my, you are out of your mind. You're darn right I'm out of my mind. She's figuring that out. 
I'll sell the house tomorrow. I'll give everything away tomorrow, and we will go. I don't, it doesn't matter, whatever it is. If you need all my vehicles, I'll just give them to you. Lord, put on my heart, I'll just give them to you. It doesn't even matter. Because it's not the, well, what will I do? And how will it work out? And what about your retirement? Listen, if I'm in a position where I can work on those things, then you use wisdom and you work on them. But if he's calling us to do something radical, we just go and we just do it radically. Reckless abandon. But I'm just here to embody your truth and your love. And I can't tell you how many times, like, um, there have just been things that just popped up or it's just been, you know, an exhausting day or something has just come up. And then, um, you know, I have a you know, friend, you know, somewhere else, another state or something, be like, oh, man, can we talk? You know, and I'm like, oh, God. I'm already so emotionally shot right now. Just done. Toast. You know, but it's in those moments. It's like, all right, Lord, I think you have this guy calling me. And... I'm going to say yes. So, Lord, you better... That's not you better. That prayer has changed too. Now it's changed too. Lord, I thank you. You're going to give me what I need in this situation. The prayer used to be, you better help me in this moment because I don't know what's going to happen. Now it's changed. I understand. I know who he is now. I know what the truth is. The truth of the matter is he's going to provide the strength. He's going to provide the words. And whatever it might seem lacking on my end, he'll make a way for it to get dealt with later. It's a faith issue. I don't even know how we got there, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the truth, and it'll set you free. Yeah, that's a big, I mean, you just, that's awesome. It's just life-changing. It's life-changing. So the answer, and we are Abraham's descendants. And I've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? So they're like, what are you talking about? We're not even a slave to anything. That's the world that we live in. What are you saying? I'm not stuck in anything. I can do whatever I want, wherever I want, however I want. I'm not a slave to anything. Just stop trying to do something you really like, and let's just see what happens. So they're like, well, we're Abraham's descendants. In other words, hey, we're Jewish. We're Israelites. This is not an anti-Semitic statement here. But they're like, hey, we can rest in that. People say that. Well, I go to church, and I give my money, and I go here, and I help there, and that ain't enough. Verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins, again, the sin issue, who sins is a slave to sin. And the language is who habitually sins. So don't just be like, hey, you know, I sinned this morning, so I guess I'm a slave. No way, man. If, if you're in Jesus Christ, you're a new creation. It's a done deal. The issue of sinning is the issue of the Holy Spirit working things out of our life says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're ready to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you that what, that what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they said. If you're Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you do the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the things your father does. So now Jesus is kind of giving it to him. So they're like, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. 
And one, that's, that's, that's a response to Jesus. That's also kind of a low blow to Jesus. Because think about Jesus. Who's his dad? It's Joseph. Well, the Holy Spirit, right? So they're like, they didn't forget about the whole Joseph and Mary deal. And they're like, dude, you don't even know who your dad is, dude. Like, there's even, there's stuff going around about that. Don't call us illegitimate children. We don't even know who your dad is. It's a shock. So Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and now I'm here. I have not come in my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your, ooh, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me? Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So verse 20 says, The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are Samaritan and demon-possessed? So this changed the whole thing. Like, no, you know, you're a Samaritan, you're a half-breed, you don't know who your dad is, and you're demon-possessed. Like, you're saying that you're one with God, you came from God, you forgive sins, and we don't know God, we're speaking his native language, so you're just out of your mind. So, a lot of times, that can go that way with people. It's just a personal attack. Hopefully, we don't go shot for shot with that. Verse 49, I'm not demon-possessed by a demon, said Jesus. Uh, but I, they're accusing Jesus of being demon-possessed. But I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Is a Christian ever going to die? No. Not dying. You move on. It's just going to be rough for people around us, you know, because they're going to miss us, and it was great, you know, to have us. And even if somebody, you know, dies young, if Jaron woke up dead tomorrow, it'd be rough to take. But it's a reality. Judson woke up dead, what did we get, two years with the kid, you know, and then father, you take him home? Like, that'd be a legitimate prayer. But it can't stay there forever and have that just ruin the rest of my life and keep his room always the same and keep his, you know, high chair there and, oh, you know, it's... We can't stay there forever. Where's the freedom in that? We'll always be bound to that. God, thank you just that we had a couple years with this awesome little dude. He was amazing. So, at this, the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? So Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it, and he was glad. So now he's like, you're crazy. You, are, you know, Abraham died. The prophets died. You're saying somebody who believes in God will never see death. What are you even saying? They're all dead. They're dead. So Jesus is like, well, you know, you don't get what I'm saying. You don't understand where I'm coming from. You don't know who God is. In fact, Abraham rejoiced when he saw me. 
So they're like, he's dead. And then Jesus is like, no, no, you know, he was happy to see me. So they're like, what is the deal? Fifty-seven. You're not even fifty years old. The Jew said to him, and you've seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Crazy thing. So he says, actually, yeah, I did. Um, and before he was born, I am. And he used the I am. It seems kind of like odd and peculiar phrase. But he used I am, you know, because they knew it. So he said at the burning bush with Moses, I am that I am. It's sort of like, oh, man, they're just looking to kill this guy. So it's a crazy conversation that talks about a lot of stuff. Um, and I felt like it just it would kind of do the passage a little bit of a disservice if we just pulled apart a few sections and then stretched it out over like four weeks and then we are like, what were we talking about, you know, in verse 12? So it's good to see it in context and what was happening, what was going on. And uh, Jesus never budged. I hope as Christians we won't budge. If we know God, I pray that we say that we know God. If we know truth, I pray that we say that we know truth. We're not helping anybody by being apologetic for the truth. I also pray that we're so filled with His wisdom and with His Spirit, we're able to do it in a way that has love attached to it. And even if we have all the love in the world attached to it, we could still get an absolutely horrible response. It's a fact of the matter. And I hope we also continue to keep talking about Jesus, keep talking about the light of the world in our life, because people believed when he was speaking. Do you think it's very far-fetched to have people believe in Jesus just by hearing you guys talk about your life and your relationship with Christ? That is not all far-fetched. In fact, that's the name of the game. We're called to be ambassadors. That's what we're called to be. It's not the pastor's job or the missionary job or the worship pastor job. They're going to come to know who Jesus is by knowing you guys. That's not supposed to feel heavy. Oh my gosh, i got so much to do. No. Get to know him. That's the calling. Like He's going to do the rest, but get to know him. Understand who he is. The light will just come out of that. That's when Christianity is really healthy. As man, we just come with that awareness of God is just looking to embody His truth and His love in my life. I'm at His disposal in that way. It's going to wreck our flesh. It's going to be really difficult for our flesh to deal with. But it's a good thing. So let's close in prayer. That went longer than anticipated, and I apologize.